Welcome to After the Last Dance. I am Tate Frazier, joined as always by BJ Armstrong. And today we have the first teammate of BJ Armstrong, a man that is a 1993 NBA champion, a man that has a rule named after him, and it's not Ja Rule. He is a guy that was the original <laughs> three-point specialist, Mr. Trent Tucker. BJ calls him the OG. Trent, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, man, you know? <laughs> this, is, this is my guy. This is everything I know about the NBA uh, I owe to this man here. He, I refer to him as the old head. This is the guy mm-hmm. that gave me all of the knowledge, taught me all of the tricks, but most importantly, he taught me what, a, what it meant to be a pro in this league, and I'm so proud to call him a, a friend, a true friend. Trent Tucker, Flint's finest, and New York's finest, Minnesota's finest. <laughs> uh, so, Trent Tucker, welcome to the show. Mr. Trent Tucker. Hey, thanks for having me, Beach. Hey, you, you know, now, you guys may not understand how I got to Chicago to mm-hmm. play for the Bulls. You know, we were down in Arkansas playing in the summer league game that Scotty Pippen had. And BJ was there. That's the first time he and I really sat down and had a long conversation about basketball. And he went back to Chicago. And uh, he called me and said, you know, Jerry Krause asked him, he said, who did you see down at Scotty's game and who did you like? And so BJ said, well, you know, I think Trent Tucker can help us. So it was it was BJ's words that allowed me to find my way to Chicago. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that, you know. <laughs> well, we have so many stories. We have so many things to get to. And we got to talk about everything, Trent. We got to talk about the Trent Tucker rule. We got to talk about New York City. And Trent, I just want to start here. Flint Northwestern. Tell me how you, you you know, you you played, you started playing, you get to Minnesota. So take us, you know, to the progression of uh, a young Trent Tucker when he was there shooting jump shots at Flint Northwestern. (laughs) (laughs) Basketball was the main thing. And Flint Northern and Flint Northern were the two hot city basketball teams at the time. And every kid, you know, growing up in Flint either wanted to play for Flint Northern or Flint Northwestern. I just happened to be Flint Northwestern School District. We only had three classes, 10, 11, and 12. So we didn't start at, 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 at ninth grade. So as a ninth grade in junior high school, you know, we had a pretty good high, junior high school basketball team. And many people was asking me if I left junior high school, you know, would you be able to make the varsity team? And that was what every kid as a summer was hoping that he was good enough to play on the varsity team. As I entered into my 10th grade year, you know, the team had just come off a state championship run. They had five of the top six guys coming back. So the first few days of practice, I went, I went out with the JV team. And then by the third day, the varsity coach came down and said, well, you know, that's enough on the JV team. I'm going to bring you up to varsity. And I knew it was a big challenge because the guys were so good and so tough. And they made it very tough on me the first day I got here. But about the fourth by the fourth game into the regular season, we went down to play in Holland Park, Michigan, right outside Detroit. And I came off the bench and scored 10 points in, in, the, in the fourth quarter. 
And the next game, coach said, you know what? I got to move into the starting lineup. <laughs> you know, I, I never came back, came out. But it was tough because I, I took the place of, of, of a senior, a guy who had, who had gone through the grind, who had gone through the trenches. And also, he was one of the returning players that had, that had gone to the state championship. But, you know, Flint, Flint was, a, was an ideal for me to grow up as a kid because we had so much support from the community. You know, B.J., I was lucky enough a mother and a father in the household, you know, that kind of steered me in the right direction. But also, you still need that support outside them. You need to know that people, you know, in the neighborhood also care about the development of young people. And I was very lucky to have that in my life at that, at that time. And, and you mentioned, the, you know, the, the bond that is there in Flint, Michigan, and, and the Flintstones, as, as we like to call them. You know, we, we've seen the different iterations. We had JaVel McGee on the show uh, earlier, and he's like the new generation of those guys from Flint, Michigan. Um, during the water crisis, we saw guys like, you know, Rasheed Wallace go back to Flint and help out. So, so what is that bond in the community to Flint? I mean, and do you like talking to the new generation of guys from Flint? Do you keep that connection going? Because as BJ mentioned, I mean, you have ties everywhere. You have ties in New York. You, you got ties in Chicago being a champion. If you if you look up your Wikipedia, you were born in Tarbo, North Carolina. Like I, I, I feel like Trent Tucker's everywhere. But, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm one of the kind of guys, you know, I move around. <laughs> You're like the spinners. You're like the spinners. I'll be around. You know, you know, Flint has has a unique bond of, of people who come from there, especially who are athletes. And yep. there are so many wonderful athletes who have come through that time. And I think – you know, during my days of growing up, there was a guy by the name of Rick Leach who went on to play uh, football at the University of Michigan. To me, he may have been the greatest all-around athlete to ever come out of Flint. And by me saying that's some other big to differ, but he was a guy that was an all-American football player, all-American baseball player, all-first team, all-state in basketball. Wow. And he was tough and rugged and, you know, he was a competitor. He was a guy that was not afraid to stick his nose in there. And he went on to Michigan to be a starting quarterback for four years under Bo Schembechler. So, you know, there were so many guys that we had the opportunity to look up to, you know, during that time to kind of pattern ourselves because sports played a huge part in, in development of young people in the inner city of, of Flint, Michigan. It kind of shaped my ideas as I moved forward as a, as a young man as well. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Trent, I, I've never asked you this. How come the University of Minnesota, how does a kid get out of the state of Michigan uh, and get to Minnesota? And then you guys had a great team there. You know, Beast, when I was in high school, you know, there were there were two other guys that was ranked ahead of me. And Michigan and Michigan State was looking at them. I was kind of the third or the fourth guy you know, on the list. And Jesse Evans at the time, who was an assistant coach at the University of Minnesota, was the JV coach at Northwestern High School in my first year in high school. So he left to join Jim Dutcher's staff here at the University of Minnesota. He told me, he said, well, I'm going to come back and recruit. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. As a sophomore in high school, you really can't see what the future is going to look like. But as I continue to progress as a basketball player, all of a sudden now it looks like that, hey, you may have a chance one day to play basketball at the collegiate level. Michigan State, Michigan, they was kind of, they they weren't really hot on me. Johnny Orr at the University of Michigan said, I would take you in a heartbeat, but now this is the catch 22. If you want to come to Michigan and fight Mike McGee for playing time, we would love to have you. 
Because at that time, Mike McGee was the Big Ten freshman of the year. And I said, I don't know if I want to go to Michigan and wrestle with Mad Dog every single <laughs> What was his nickname? What was his nickname, Trent? Jeter? Did they, oh, they call it Mad Dog. Right, right, right. And, you know, and Mike McGee was averaging, like, I mean, 18 to 22 points a game, you know, as a, as a freshman. He played with Phil Hubbard. So I knew that to try to find some playing time against a, a, a great player like that would, would be difficult. Michigan State, they were looking at Walker D. Russell and a guy named Rob Gonzalez out of Detroit. So I was kind of their third wheel. So we had an all-star game uh, one weekend in, in Ohio. We didn't take the top Michigan players to play in this all-star game. We went down and played against some of the top high school players in the country. We played against a team from Connecticut, and they had two guys that was ranked in the top 10, 20 in terms of high school basketball players. We didn't have a chance to win these. Nobody gave us a shot at all. We won the whole tournament. I was the MVP of the tournament. I think I finished the last game with 39 points or something like that. <laughs> Wait a minute. I couldn't hear you, Trip. How I many you have? I couldn't hear you. I mean, you have... like 39. Something like 30. Something like, something like 30. Yeah. And, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I got a phone call from Matt Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you get a call from Magic Johnson or Young Buck? Because that's what they called him up in Michigan. Did you? Right. Did the Young so, Buck call you? <laughs> yeah, so at that time, Michigan started. To, to make a swing and say, wait a minute, are we really looking at the right player here? Mm-hmm. And by that, BJ, I was fully committed to go to University of Minnesota. And coming here and being a part of this, this community for as long as I've been here, I believe that it was the right choice I've made. I made. But the three final schools I, I looked at before I made my choice, UCLA, oh. University of Iowa. Really? In Minnesota. Silas I didn't know McKinney, that. Silas McKinney, who was an assistant coach under Lou Olson at that time. Wow. I'd known Jesse all my life. If Jesse would have been somewhere else, BJ, I would have to say that you and I, I would have gone to the University of Iowa. Wow. Was, uh, I was that close I to did. going to the University of Iowa. And Silas recruited me. You know, my mother loved him. And she said, you know, Silas, if it wasn't for Jesse Evans, I would have sent my son to the University of Iowa in a heartbeat. And so I almost, you, you, and all, you and I almost been alumni, you know? Oh, man, <laughs> man. <laughs> Is that right? I did not know that story. Yeah, I was, I was really close to going to Iowa. You know, at the time, they had Ronnie Lester. Mm-hmm. Right, right. All, you know, All-American, All-Big Ten guard. And they just felt like with the game that I played, I would have been a perfect fit for him, you know, yep. pushing the basketball, yeah. me being a catch and shoot guy. Uh, they won't be up tempo and, and Ronnie Lester in the, the right point guard for me at, at that time. But coming to Minnesota is the right choice. You know, you allowed me to, to grow up as a young man. I've always wanted to find my own place and experience things outside of the household. And as a freshman, you know, Jim Dutcher, didn't, he didn't offer me anything. He didn't tell me that you're going to come in and got a starting position. The only thing he said to me is three positions open. We recruited the number one class in the country. You were a part of that number one recruiting class. You will have a chance to play as a freshman, but it will be up to you to earn your spot. And I came in as ranked of the top fives who came in. I was the fifth least known of the other four who came in before me. Who were those other guys? Gary Holmes, Miami, Florida. 
he was Mr. Basketball in the state of Florida. Mark Hall. Mark Hall averaged 39 points a game from Springfield, Massachusetts in high school. <laughs> wow. 39 a game mm. in high school. And then we had Leo Robbins, you know, from Toronto, Canada. And at, at that time, he considered oh, to be the greatest player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that time, he was considered to be the greatest player in Canadian history. And then that was myself. Now, Kevin Stallings also came and was recruited that year. But he decided not to, to make the trip to Minneapolis because he says, I just don't know if I can find some playing time with all those guys coming in. It was a huge challenge for me. You know, I had a chance, you know, uh, to break into the starting lineup if I was willing to put in work. And, you know, playing with, you know, Kevin McHale, another guy named James Jackson out of Chicago, felt like that, you know, this was the perfect place for me to have a chance to play as a freshman. Well, hey, Trent, just a, real quick, was the late Flip Saunders, was he – was he there at the time when you was there or no? Flip left in 77, but he came back to be an assistant coach during my time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we, you know, we, we had some good teams. Uh, the big 10 was tough back then. There was only 32 teams during that time. You know, you could go, you could go 30 and five. You could go 14 and four and still find your way to the NIT. It, it was just so hard. And it was just so hard that time to make the big dance. Yeah, and you could you we remember like Virginia, right? Like Ralph Sampson and those teams winning the NIT because some of those years they couldn't get into the to the big tournament because of less teams. Uh, I wanted to ask you mentioned catch and shoot, um, and obviously you know being a, a catch and shoot guy without a three point line is a little bit different than you know the current times where we see you know they're a three point specialist. But what was the motivation for you to become that kind of player? Because the, the incentive obviously the ABA had the three point shot and then the NBA adopts it later. But college basketball. When you played, there was no three-point shot. So you're catching, shooting, and you're still getting two points, and that's a little bit different than most people. Did, did you feel like you were a pioneer, or you were just kind of like, look, I got a good shot, so I'm, I'm going to shoot when I'm open? You know, in New York City, they drive the ball to the basket. <laughs> yep. But in the state of Michigan, we shoot jump shots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk to him, Trent. Talk to him. <laughs> you know, you know, for me, you know, the jump shot has always been a big part of my game. You know, I grew up as a kid with the ability to shoot the ball from downtown. In high school, it was a more wide open game, you know, but the jump shot still was a big part of it. And when I went to college, I had, you know, huge inside players like Randy Brewer, 7-3, Gary Holmes, the guy I mentioned from Miami, Florida, was 6'10", mm -hmm. and, and Kevin McHale, you know, who became a Hall of Famer with the Boston Celtics. The one thing Minnesota could do back then, Beach, you know, they could recruit the seven-footers, but they could not bring in guys who played on the perimeter, guys who could run and shoot. And finally, in 1978, Jim Dutcher was able to bring in those types of players. And then my, my outside game was a perfect fit for the inside players that we had. Wow, wow. So, Trent, you, you play there. And then we hit the bright lights. <laughs> hey, we hit the bright lights. I got to ask you, you, I mean, you played nine years in New York. First, I want to know how you navigated the city of New York. Okay. <laughs> then, uh, I don't know how much time. I don't know how much time we got for that. But then, Trent, I want to talk about some of the coaches you had. Okay. The Hubie Browns, the Rick Patinos all of these coaches that you had here because, I mean, New York isn't an easy place to play. But 
every time we go to New York, Trent Tucker's name is the ultimate respect when you go to New York City. You played there. You lived there. You were the fabric of New York City. Talk about just as a young kid, a young man, the transition you made playing in New York City. You know, New York City is the ultimate place for any player to play. You know, you're good and bad all in the same day. And you're good and bad on, on the same play. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but you have to have the right mindset to accept New York City for what it is. And, and the moment that, that you try to change New York City, then you find yourself in trouble. You know, just let New York be what New York is. It's a tough city. It's a brash city. But it's a wonderful city. The media can be very tough on, on you, but you have to allow the media to do their jobs and, and you let them know that I respect what you do. As long as you don't take things and make it a personal confrontation between you and the media, you're going to be fine because every player knows whether they play good or bad or not. I don't need someone to tell me that I went over 10. <laughs> because I know when I went over 10. But for me coming in as a rookie, I had the right mentor, Truck Robinson. Oh, yes. Oh. Truck Robinson was the right mentor for me. You know, he was the right guy to kind of help me navigate, you know, through the waters of New York City. And, and when things weren't going well on the basketball court, you know, I had that voice in the locker room that helped me understand the things I needed to do to make sure that I was ready when my opportunity came. Hubie Brown was, was a very difficult guy to play for it uh, at certain times. Uh, but once you realized, you know, how good of a coach he was, then you could put aside the bark that he brought every day. And then you could realize that he was trying to help you to become a better basketball player. All the things that I learned about the NBA game, I have to credit to Hubie Brown because he was a student, student of the game. But having guys like Truck Robinson and Lewis or in that locker room paid dividends for me as a young player in New York City. They allowed me to grow up the right way. Uh, they gave me an opportunity to see all the pitfalls that were coming. They, they gave me a balance, you know, of, of personal and professional. And sometimes that's hard when you're a young player. And I went through a stretch, I think, in my second year in the league where I didn't play for like 16 or 17 straight games. And I didn't understand why I wasn't playing. And there were nights where we'd be up by 20 points. Hubie Brown would play all 11 guys, wouldn't put me in. We'd be down by 20. He still would play all 11 guys and wouldn't put me in. And so Truck could sense the frustration that was coming over me as a young player. And he called me over to the side and said, young fellow, this is the thing that you're going to have to do. He said, you're going to have to stay out of practice and work on your game. You're going to have to do some extra conditioning on your own. No one is going to be here to help you because when practice is over, all of us are going to leave because we have our own lives and things to do. He said, so if you are committed, to being a part of this team. And at some point in time, you will have a chance to help us. And we are going to expect you to do the things that you need to do away from the team to get yourself ready. And to me, that was a valuable lesson. So I had to spend multiple evenings when I didn't play trying to find pickup games against guys in the neighborhood just to go out and play basketball. 
because I wasn't getting much run during the season. And then all of a sudden, one night, Ray Williams, who was the starting guard, man, you know, he, two was guard. Trent. he was really he was very, good. He was really good, Beach. He goes down with an ankle sprain at the end of the first half. And I'm thinking, well, maybe in the second half, you know, I might get 10 seconds, I might get 12 seconds. I just want to take my warm-up top off. I just want to write <laughs> You know, that's all I want to do. And we get in the locker room and we're about to come out for the third period. Huey Brown comes in and says, hey, Tucker, you're going to start the third quarter. I said, what? He said, yeah, get yourself ready to play. I looked at truck, truck said, you ready? I said, I'm ready. He said, okay. So we're not going to worry about whether Hubie Brown didn't play you the last month or not. We need for you now to step up and play because we expect you to be young, a young pro to do the things that you needed to do to make sure when your number was called, you were ready to step in and help us. And I started the third quarter, and when I went into the third quarter, you could hear the fans like, whoa, wait a minute. He hasn't played basketball in a month. And all of a sudden now, you jump, leave every other guard in front of you to become a starter. Yeah, so I had to be ready to go. And I thank those veteran guys I had at that time who got me prepared for that moment. So I go out, I score 10 points in that game in the second half. We lose to Otis Birdsong and Michael Ray Richardson down the stretch. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 Trent, Trent, hold on, hold on, hold on. Trent, that, that ain't like, that ain't just any guards. Hold on, you just can't say Otis Birdsong and the Sugar Man. Nah, you, can't. <laughs> you know, and, and they had Daryl Dawkins and Buck Williams. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh. and so and so after that game, it was a Saturday night in the garden. And his Sunday we got day off. Monday we have practice. Ray Williams now is going to be lost for at least the next 20, 25 games. So this is my chance to start. And Tuesday night after New Jersey, who comes to town? Dr. J in the Philadelphia 76. <laughs> not, not, the, not the Boston Strangler. You got the Strangler, Trent? You got the Boston Strangler? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you got, you got Moses Malone, you got mm. Mo Cheeks, Dr. J, you got Bobby Jones, and you got Andrew Tony. Tony. <laughs> 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 okay. Now, I want to know, wait, wait, we've got, for full disclosure here, Midas, our producer, is from Philadelphia. So this is yep. right up his alley. Yeah. So Trent, tell us, you know, that, that's, a, that's a heck. Who, now, are you, is, uh, is Bernard King on that team as well? So the starting five that night was Bernard King, Bill oh. Cartwright, oh. Truck Robinson, oh. Roy, Roy Sparrow, and Trent Tucker. <laughs> 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 uh, hey, 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 Trent, can I just ask you something? Can I just ask you something? I got to ask you this, and then I'm sorry to interrupt you, because Andrew Tony is one of my favorites, right? He's So, Trent, is it true? I need to confirm this here. Is it true the very first play of every game of the Sixers was like a two-down pop-out for Andrew Tony? No doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a living legend. That's like a legend in the NBA. The very first play. I would tell you, I'm going to tell you when I first met Andrew Tony. We were in college. 
my sophomore year, and we were about to play this team from Southwest Louisiana State. And Jim Duchess said, you know, you're going to take the first part of practice off. I need you to go to the film room. I want you to watch this tape. And then when you come out, tell me what you saw. So I go in the film room with, with one of the uh, with, with one of the uh, equipment managers, and all of a sudden I come out about 15, 20 minutes later, and coach says, "Trent, what did you see?" He said, "I saw some guy get 45 points." He said, "What was his name?" I said, "Some guy named Andrew Tony." He said, "That's your man tomorrow night." <laughs> 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 oh, that's great. That's great. And so going into today again, it's my second game, my first game starting in a month, right? So you wonder if I have the conditioning to play 35, 36, 37 minutes. The conditioning and the stamina, you know, to, to go up against Andrew Tony. Right. Because you know the first and play. You know the first play of the game. So we win the opening tap. And a play called 42. And Huey Brown said, 42, 42. He says, but hit Trent comes to down screen. And he said, we got to get him in the game right away. So I would go across the lane, screen for Bernard King. <laughs> and then Truck Robinson would pin down on Andrew Tony for me to pop off of the 18 footer. <laughs> and, and Truck was laying some wood on Andrew. That, and I came off that screen at 18 feet. And it allowed me to get into the game right away. And you hit it, Trent? Did you hit it? Break. Did you hit it? Saving grace, I got first two jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> saving grace for me in that game, Andrew Tony picked up two fouls, and then he go to the bench. And then once he went to the bench, you know, Clinton Richardson, who played behind him, was oh, not man. the same offensive threat that Andrew Tony was. So that allowed me now to kind of ease into the game from a defensive standpoint. I didn't have to have the pressure of trying to contain one of the top two guards in the game at that time. So it allowed me to find my offensive game. And when he came back into the game, now it flopped. But you're talking about a physical two guard. And the one thing about Andrew Tony, Beach, I'm going to tell you about this. Andrew Tony would come off the screen. And most guys would, 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 would pretend to get hung up on the screen set by Moses Malone. And they were hoping that Andrew Tony would just catch and shoot. He wouldn't catch and shoot. He will wait for you to get out there because Andrew Tony <laughs> wanted to basketball with you. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. You know, and, you know, when Boston made the trade to get Dennis Johnson, right. that was for Andrew Tony. But now you and I both know how, how great Cooper was as a defensive player. Yes. I saw Andrew Tony string 49 one day on him. 49. I'm, I'm talking about one-on-one. -on -one. Ain't, ain't no screens being set. This is just Andrew Tony going one-on-one. -on -one. And you're talking about one of the most difficult guard, guard you know, during that time. If, if his feet doesn't go bad, and when you talk about one of the all-time greats at his position, for sure his name would have been up there at the top. How many points did he have against you in college when you had to guard him? Do you remember? Well, the good thing about that, you know, our, our design defensively was that if we scored, we would play zone defense. Oh, oh we love it. We love <laughs> it. Not your fault. Not but my if man. We missed, we had to go play man to man. 
And, just, and, and, and for that night, for us, we shot the basketball. We made 75% of our shots. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I didn't have to guard Andrew Tony that much that night. Yeah, and, stay in the zone. Uh, like, but he was one of the all-time best that I played against. Trent, look, we got so much to touch here. I got to ask you, you know, look, you know, Bill, we both adore Bill, and we're going to get to right. Bill. But how good really was Bernard King? You, in terms of instant offense, throughout my career, I don't know if I've seen anyone that could score 12 points as quickly as Bernard King. <laughs> the game could be like 90 seconds old. Bernard King got 12 points already. (laughs) (laughs) And we look around and says, how did he score 12 points so fast? He was a physical offensive player. I mean, he used to really, really beat up defender, you know, with his elbows and his shoulders. He was in great shape, great. He was a great competitor. And if you didn't bring it on the defensive end, you know, Bernard King would embarrass you every single night. He could really put that ball in the basket. Mm. I mean, in my second year, I think he led the league in scoring. And you're talking about playing against some heck of a defenders back then. But he, but Bernard King offensively. Mm. Mm. And, and, and Trent, can we fast forward a little bit? Because obviously you spent nine years in New York. And, and one of those years, you guys played the Chicago Bulls. And Phil Jackson complained about the fact that you were able to get a jump shot off. And it went in and uh, it said one second on the clock uh, or point one on the clock. And then there was a, there was a, a rule that was made up that it could only be a tip in or, or a lob or something like that, because no one could get, no one could get a shot off that quick. And you ended up playing for Phil Jackson a couple of years later, but that was the moment when that rule came to be. When you took the shot, do you think you still got it off in time despite the new rule? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Man. Oh, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Trip, it, what, what wasn't that trip weren't we were playing you guys on christmas or something that day right uh, I can't... no no mlk day okay. i know i remember it was some holiday i remember it was mlk day you know uh, uh one o'clock you know uh and it was 1990 january 15th and that was the first <laughs> year you know that was the first year they going to tens of seconds on the on the game clock and the shot clock right and when it got down to one tenth, we called timeout, and we was gonna run a lob, a lob, a lob pass toward the front of Riffin Patrick Ewing, and I was gonna be a decoy, and I was gonna, you know, go from from the left side to the right side just to empty out the backside, hoping that they would bring Michael Jordan with me. But MJ read the play, <laughs> so MJ took away the lob pass. Right. And I knew Mark Jackson was up against the five-second count. So when he took away option number one, we didn't have option number two. There was no time for a second option. And I knew Mark Jackson was, was close to getting the violation, so I ran in front of him. He gave me a little flip pass. I turned and shot the ball as quickly as I could. And the ball hung in the air for a very long time. And I'm like, and I, when I looked at it, I says, it's online, but do I have enough? <laughs> I, I didn't know I didn't know if I had enough, you know, to get it to the rim. And when the ball went in, we ran off the floor. So I'm looking at the officials. You know, they gave the, you know, they gave the good sign. So we took off and left. I can see Phil now waving it off, waving it off, and said the shot didn't count. So that evening, I think ESPN, CNN also had a, a late night sports show, Fox News, and all the local TV outlets in New York City. Everybody had their stop clock. 
And they were saying, well, there's no way a guy can get a shot off in Texas. The second has to be three. Now he came up three tenths more. So I had a conversation with, you know, with late commissioner David Stern about a week later. And he said, well, Trent, you know, this shot didn't count. Well, the shot should not have counted, you know, but it's going to stand. And we're going to be forced now to change the rules. And I said, well, Mr. I said, well now, Mr. Commissioner, with all due respect, you know, I beg to differ. <laughs> and he says, Trent, why is that? And I said, well, the reason you and I are having the conversation this morning is to because you saw a man make a shot in a tenth of a second. He said, Trent, get out of my office. <laughs> Stop it! Trent! Trent! He threw you out of the office, Trent! He threw you out of the office. So the first day I came to training camp with the Bulls, as soon as I walk in, Phil looks at me and says, well, you know the shot didn't count. <laughs> and and I, I, I said, Coach, I beg to differ. He said, what, what you mean you beg to differ? I said, I said, the reason that you were protesting, because you saw a guy make a shot in the 10th of a second. <laughs> <laughs> And that's your story. You stick it with it. <laughs> oh man, that, that that is great. That is great. Uh, Trent, you know, as as we go around here, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, man, thanks you, for having me. Yeah, yeah no, I really appreciate it and share these stories. But I can't. I have to touch on that position when you were playing. That's where all the scores were at, right? That's where the George Gervins, the Michael Jordans. You know, you know. Look, you played with Michael Jordan for many years. You played against him, and all of those wonderful players that were at the two and three positions when you was coming in the league. And you were, you know, look. You had all. You had a great reputation for being an offensive player, but you can't play for Hubie Brown unless you were a defensive player. You were a terrific. You were always a terrific defensive player. Talk about Trent. Those, you know, guarding those players in particular. Let's talk about this one young player, twenty three. And when did you know? <laughs> when did you know, Trent, that there was something a little different about twenty three? <laughs> oh yeah, that was something different for sure. You know, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a small thing. And I was like, his rookie year when he came into the league, we played Chicago in the exhibition game, and I was guarding MJ, and I went for the steal, and I missed the steal. He went back door, and he went up on Truck Robinson. How strong, how strong truck was. Yeah. And he kind of just, he went up and he just, just muscled the ball in the basket. And I was like, well, I haven't seen that before. <laughs> I said, wow, wait a minute. That, no, that, that can't, no, that didn't just happen. So I'm going to fast forward to year number three, okay? When he came off the foot injury and he played, you know, only 14, 15 games in year number two. So in his third year, it was the opening night of Madison Square Garden. And it was, it was a back-to-back -back for us. We had played the Pistons the night before you know, up at the Palace, and we flew home to play the Chicago Bulls. You know, you know the Garden is buzzing. You know, the right. Chicago Bulls, MJ is in town. You know, it's, it's must-see it, must basketball. <laughs> it's the hottest ticket in New York City. You know, Broadway is alive tonight. <laughs> If you're not in the garden, you know, where are you? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we all, and you all know back then how, how physical the game was. Right. Bees for 40 some plus minutes. We hit MJ 
We knocked him down. We tackled him. He still scored 50 points. <laughs> 50. <laughs> I was like, in a close game, it wasn't like, you know, it was a 50-point game and the Bulls won by, you know, 15, 18. I'm talking about it was nip and tuck back and forth. I mean, we was hitting it every way that we could. And he still found a way. And I went to the locker room after the game was over. Reporters came in. And a few of the guys said, you know, think of Michael Jordan. And what do you think of his game? And a few guys said, well, you know, you know, he gets a lot of calls here and there and here and there. I said, and the guy asked me, he says, he says, Trent, your thoughts on Michael Jordan? I said, you really want my, my real thoughts on Michael Jordan? He said, yeah. I said, I played against some of the greatest basketball players ever. I said, to me, Magic Johnson was the greatest player I'd ever seen. I said, but that number 23 down the hall, that's a different cat, man. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm going to tell you right now. You guys may think I'm crazy. I said, but that's the greatest basketball player that I've ever seen in, in his third year in the league. Wow. I said, I said, I mean, I said, he's, a, he's different. I said, he's different. I said, speed, quickness, strength, stamina, a competitive drive, a willingness, you know, not to let his team down, rising to the moment every single time. I said, I don't know how many other guys could have taken that type of beating that night and still stand up and get 50 points. I mean, but he got 50. He didn't get 25. <laughs> okay. He didn't get 30. He got 50. And I was like, I said, I said, let's just all take a pause and 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 and, and take a and take a step back and realize that for the next 10, 12 years, 13 years, however, this is the best player in the game. We might as well enjoy the ride because, <laughs> because I have never, ever seen anything like this. So, I, you know, I have three older brothers who all played basketball and sports and so forth. They said, is Michael Jordan really that good? They said, or are you guys just letting him score? I said, until you stand in front of Michael Jordan in a one-on-one -on -one situation or in a game-type situation, you can't fathom how good he is. You can't fathom how good he is unless you're on the floor with him to see it. I mean, the one, the, the move he made and and one of the few times we played y'all in the playoffs, when he went baseline, came back, and went baseline again and dunked on Patrick Ewing, Beach, I was done, man. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Beach, it, it was over. <laughs> it was over, man. I was like, I was like, no, man. He, he didn't just do that. I mean, on Patrick Ewing, I was like, no, 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 no. I said, right, I said, right. I said, no. I said, Larry Bird said, right, man. You know, that's that's God in sneakers, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's that's, that's awesome. You know, Magic Johnson. Be talking about some of the great guys I played against: Andrew Tony, Dennis Johnson, Walter Davis. Otis Bird's song, Michael Ray Richardson, Sidney Moncrief, you know, the Iceman. I mean, there was no one that could score like George Gerber.
You know, George used to talk to you throughout the game. <laughs> and so we playing San Antonio one night, and you know, and George said, "Hey, Tom, what's happening, man? That was good to see a young fella from Michigan, you know." <laughs> and, uh, he said, "Now he said he said he said now I'm gonna let you get your twenty, okay? Because I'm forty, right?" <laughs> 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 that's, what, that's what the ice said, Trent. That's what the ice said. I, I, I said, don't get to 20. Don't get to 22. Look good. He said, but I'm 40 now. <laughs> Shout out to the ice. Shout out to the ice. Iceman oh, was the first man. player to ever. Uh, he's the first one I ever heard this from. He said his best defense is his offense. Oh, yeah. That's, that, I was like, what, what did that mean? Like, you know, <laughs> but he was a... You know, I caught him, and he was like late. You know, he was real late. He was old when I when I saw him. But every two guard in the league would tell these stories about how effortlessly he would score the basketball. No, ice was you know ice ice dropped thirty five on you when he was sweat. He didn't sweat. No, <laughs> ice was ice was ice was hard to guard. I mean, I'm guarding I'm guarding George Gervin and Huey Brown was going to yell at me like I said. Well, wait a minute, man. Now you can't be mad at me if George Gervin is scoring. But George Griffin has scored on everybody played against. He said, Trent, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, man, I said, man, I'm doing everything I can. But you can't stop the Iceman. You can't. You can't. <laughs> he went down the lane on Bill Cartwright one night, and he says, he says, big fella, he said, you can't get that. You can't get that. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, that's great. Trent, well, look, before we go, yeah. we get out of here. You come to Chicago, and it was one of the highlights of my career playing with you. And we had so much fun on and off the court. Yeah, great time, man. <laughs> we, we we had a great time. This is, I mean, you this showed me, HBO, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I say we had a great time, we had a great time. <laughs> and, this is my guy. This is my guy right here, and. Real quick, Trent, just tell us about that year, the bond that we had, you, myself, MJ, <laughs> Daryl. That was a great group. We had a great time. We won a championship. And here we are still laughing <laughs> about things we did. <laughs> it, it, to me, is it was a highlight of my career. Uh, you know, doing that, that offseason season. You know, I didn't have many options, you know, to go and play. And Jerry Krause gave me a call after you guys had a conversation in the latter part of September. And when I spoke to Krause on the phone, he said, we'd like to bring you to training camp. And he said to me, he says, well, I, I know this is going to be different for the first time in your career uh, that you have, you, you'll be asked to play basketball on a non-guaranteed contract. So he offered me a nine guarantee contract. He said, you have to make the team. And I said, okay. He said, you sure? I said, right now, Jerry, <laughs> I ain't got nowhere to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I said, and the only person that has called me to offer me an opportunity is the best team in basketball. I said, how can I turn down you know, that opportunity. And I said, and how, and how lucky I am at this stage 
you know, to have someone in the Chicago Bulls to give me a chance. And I knew the role that he was going to ask me to play. And the only thing I asked Jerry on the phone before I hung up, I said, just give me a fair chance to make the team, man. And I said, if I'm not good enough to make it, Jerry, you know, I'd be disappointed. I said, but I can live with that. But I prepared myself for this call to come, even though I didn't know if it was going to call. And when it came, I said, well, this is my chance now to go and see if I can fit in and play with one of the best teams in all the basketball. And every day I knew that I had to be at my best. And, and you know, having guys like BJ around and getting to know MJ even better than I did, you know, that was a huge help for me because you guys allowed me to, to come into your, to your space and, and to be a part of what you guys had built. And, you know, Phil was, Phil was the right guy for me because, you know, <laughs> you know, cause, you know, cause Phil kind of understood me as, as being a veteran, but it was a, it was a, it was a team that I was able to bond with very quickly. And I, and I think what helped me was because I was a veteran player right. mm -hmm. and I was coming in to be a piece to a puzzle. And, and as long as I, I knew where, where I stood, and what my role was, it was going to be a whole lot easier for me to fit in. And then off the court, you know, we were able to build those relationships that we still have today. And I can remember this game six on the bus ride from the, from the Ritz Carlton to America West Arena. The bus was packed on a Sunday afternoon. And me and B sat beside each other. And on the 20-minute bus ride, we didn't, we, we, we didn't talk. We didn't speak. The only thing he said to me when that bus pulled in, in, into the garage, he says, give me all you got today, man. Give me all you got. <laughs> and I said, I said, young fella, I said, I'm with you, everybody, OK? I said, let's, let, let's go get it done. <laughs> and, you know, and I knew that I was at pretty much at the end of my career. Uh, for those 12 months between year 11, 10 and 11, during the all season of working out and through the nine months with the Chicago Bulls, as a basketball player, from a physical standpoint, I didn't have anything else left. And I knew that I had reached the end of my run. And what a wonderful way you know, to end that run is by playing with so many wonderful guys on the championship team who still consider me to be a friend today. And pro sports can be unkind, you know, to a lot of players at the end of their careers. And how many guys are lucky enough, you know, to come in the, come in the league in the front door and then leave out the front door. And the Chicago Bulls, along with great guys like B.J. Armstrong, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, Bill Cartwright, John Paxson, and the entire Chicago Bulls staff, you know, they gave me a chance to leave the game the right way. And that is something that I would never, ever, ever forget. So, B.J., salute to you, my brother. You've done so well, man, in your career after, after basketball. I'm proud of you, man. And uh, you are a true example of what well, a pro is I all about. I appreciate that, trip, but... I, I have to say this last thing. You were perfect in your last game. You was perfect. Yeah, what were you? Yeah. Were you three for three? And or three for three or four for four? Four Trent for four. Was, 
perfect. And I re I remember that. And I remember that bus ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people don't realize, but we had professionals like this would allowed us to play. And Trent was a, he was the yeah. ultimate, ultimate professional. And I'm forever grateful as a teammate. I mean, every time I think about that year, I, I just, I smile. Uh, it was, it was a great, it was the greatest year. And, <laughs> but, well, and my God, <laughs> I remember that, that Saturday afternoon before we left, you know, Phil, Phil calls in the office and says, hey, uh, he says, I got to play you tomorrow. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played you much now. I said, all right. He says, uh, he said, I don't know how many shots you're going to get. He said, but every shot you get tomorrow, you gotta go in though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, out of all of the players I've ever seen Phil's interaction, Phil and Trent had this relationship where they would talk like buddies. It it was like Phil would like he would be on BJ. Oh BJ, you you're messing up the offense or whatever. But Trent, he would be like you know, hey Trent, how you doing? You know, uh, how's it going? How's your body feel today? You know, can do you, do you want to play fifteen minutes? He was like, he was like Trent's friend. <laughs> the only time I think the only time you know Phil got mad at me, and I don't know why he was mad at me. One night we were playing, and Bees in the first team had blown the team out, and we had the plan. We had a good time. And I was scoring a few baskets, and then all the time out looks at me and says, "What are you still shooting for?" <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you know? And no, you was hot that night. Trent, I remember that night. You you had like 20-some points. <laughs> He's like, what are you still shooting for? And I looked at him, I said, he said, but don't you have enough points? <laughs> I, I looked at him, I was like, I said, what do you want me to do, man? Throw the ball in the stands? <laughs> Now, Phil and I had a, 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 a really unique relationship for, for that year, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys did. Yeah, you guys yeah, did. There, yeah. Oh, man. Well, there you have it. This has been After the Last Dance with the great Trent Tucker. Uh, we, we've covered everything from Otis Birdsong to, yeah. I mean, all the way up until the, the modern times of basketball. And obviously, we got a great Phil Jackson story there at the end. Uh, Trent, we appreciate yeah. you coming on. And, uh, you're welcome back anytime because we need more stories like this. Be, hey, I've never, hey, I've never, thanks for having me, man. You know, hey, 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 next time, tell BG Guy podcast to HBO. Man, we got a lot more stories. To yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> we don't need hey. more stories, <laughs> hey, but they were fun. <laughs> the real ball. Uh, all right, uh, all right, Trent. Okay. Hey, man, love you, man. Appreciate Thank you, you. Brother. Hey, appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Trent. Okay, all right, Trent. Be good. Y'all stay well out there. Okay, man.